How's everybody doing? Doing all right? A uh, couple of, uh, one thing just uh, in response to, uh, to what Brian just said. So there was a, a message in the church email about uh, if, uh, you know, if you had any feedback on me becoming an elder, you know, share it with some of the other elders. Um, and one of the things I really appreciated was a few of you said, hey, uh, that's, that's great, um, but we have some concerns about uh, his family um, in terms of little kids, time, capacity to do it. And one of the things that was so um, meaningful, oh, I'm going to get emotional. I'm a minute into my sermon. I'm going to start getting emotional. One of the things that made me so appreciative of this church is that that was the priority for you all, my family. Um, that was just really meaningful. So thank you for the ones that said that. That, that was really awesome. Um, so thank you for saying that. And I'm excited to, to be an elder once again. Um, one other thing before we, before we jump in. Um, it's really exciting to see some, uh, some guests and some visitors I haven't seen in a while. Uh, the Midwest is being represented very well by the Tyndalls. Good to see you guys. So some folks that have been, you know, moved away are, are back in town, and it's fun to see you all. So, okay, you guys ready to jump in? Yeah. <laughs> all right, so here's, here's my deal. Here's my deal for you all. Uh, when I was playing basketball, uh, if we had a week where we had like two or three games in a given week, our coach would start the practice this way. If you guys can give me your attention... If you can work hard in a short amount of time, we will make this a short practice. So by analogy or by metaphor, if you all can give me your attention, I'm going to start my clock right now. If you can stay with me, I'm going to move pretty fast because it's hot and I get it, okay? So I have a lot to say. I will, tie, I will try not to talk too fast, but if you can be engaged for the next 15 minutes, maybe 18 minutes, we'll get through this together. Sound good? All right. A little more energy. Okay. All right, so we're going to continue our, our series that we've been in this summer talking about the book, uh, the book of Psalms. So if you have your Bible uh, or your phone, uh, turn to Psalm 51. Uh, by way of, of a couple uh, items of introduction, um, one, a lot of the content that I'm, I will be using this morning I borrowed from John Piper, just uh, just making that clear. Some of these ideas are my own. The bad ideas are mine. The good ideas are his. Uh, this chapter is often referred to as the shame or guilt chapter. So has anyone here ever dealt with shame or guilt? You don't have to raise your hand. Oh, Brian has. There's some, yeah. all right, thanks. So uh, just to, what we're about to get, we're going to talk about shame and guilt today and hopefully give you a way to deal with it in a, in a healthy way, to deal with your shame and guilt in a healthy way. Uh, last thing by way of a backstory before, before we uh, read the passage, is everyone, does everyone have it? Has everyone turned there? So do you all see, in your, at least in my Bible, there's kind of this preface before verse 1. Do you all have that? It should say something like, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Something like that? Yep, you seen that? Wow, come on. What's Brian's line? If you want a good sermon, you have to interact with me a little bit. Yeah, come on. All right, so this is one of the, the few psalms, or one of the unique psalms that actually have, there's historical origin to it. So there was an event that happened, a specific event in time that happened, and then this psalm was authored in response to that. So if you're not familiar with the story, Bathsheba, uh, or, or sorry, David, King David, David, David and Goliath David, I think I have a picture of David. There he is, that guy. 
David, slingshot David, kills the giant Goliath. So King David sees this woman bathing. He's attracted to her. He has his messengers go get this woman who's married, bring this woman to him. He has an affair with her because she's a married woman, okay? Then David sends her husband to the front lines of battle, withdraws troops, so he dies. So David is an adulterer and a murderer. How about that for an intro? All right, so let's read Psalm 51. So, so David has committed this act. He's been confronted by, the, by a prophet and says, hey, that was really not cool what you just did. And this is how David responds to it, okay? I'm going to read. It's, it's a little bit long, but I'm going to read all the verses. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with the hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. I love this verse. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach, trans- I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Still with me? A few more verses. Stay with me here. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Do not delight in sa- you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Okay, so I have good news. So David gives us a roadmap for how we are to respond to our own guilt and shame. Three points today. Ready? Number one, God doesn't keep score. Number two, in response to guilt and shame, run to God. And number three, ask him to cleanse you. Number one, God doesn't keep score. Number two, turn to God in response to your own shame or guilt. And number three, pray for cleansing. Okay, number one, God doesn't keep score. So there's a show that, that started a couple years back called The Good Place. Are you all familiar with The Good Place? At least one of you. Uh, you all should know the creator of the show uh, is a big Red Sox fan. So take that or leave it. Um, so the premise of the show is this. Every person, there's a, there's a big scale, and every person does good things. Every person does bad things, right? We all do good things. We all do bad things. When we die... Depending on the, the, the amount of good things versus bad things determines if we go to the good place, where there's lots of frozen yogurt stands and puppies, or the bad place, where there's eternal damnation and torture. It's a basic premise. It, it is, a, it is a, a, a comedy, so it's a pretty light and funny, but that's the basic premise. And actually, uh, there, we have a little clip um, that will explain it slightly better. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to your first day in the afterlife. You were all, simply put, good people. But how do we know that you were good? How are we sure? During your time on Earth, every one of your actions had a positive or a negative value. 
depending on how much good or bad that action put into the universe. Every sandwich you ate, every time you bought a magazine, every single thing you did had an effect that rippled out over time and ultimately created some amount of good or bad. You know how some people pull into the breakdown lane when there's traffic and they think to themselves, ah, who cares? No one's watching. We were watching. Surprise! <laughs> anyway, when your time on Earth has ended, we calculate the total value of your life using our perfectly accurate measuring system. Only the people with the very highest scores, the true cream of the crop, get to come here, to the good place. What happens to everyone else, you ask? Don't worry about it. The point is, you are here because you lived one of the very best lives that could be lived. Good. Okay. Get it? Get the summary? So to be, to be crystal clear, that is atrocious theology. Okay? But the reason I show the clip is because I think it leaks into our minds, even those that profess to be Christians, I think you are influenced by this thinking. Let me show you what I mean. Before I, before I say that, if, if you watch this clip and, um, and, and this makes sense to you, and this is your kind of, this is your structure for how you view the world, that's okay. At the end of the service, we're going to have a, we're going to sing another song and there's going to be people up front to, that are um, open to praying with you. I'd invite you to have a conversation with them. If you're like, this is, how, this is the God that I believe in, just come have a conversation with them. Because the point I want to make here is that this is not what God is doing. God isn't keeping score. Number one point, remember, God doesn't keep score. So I see people nodding and they get it. And, and I think we understand that on the good side. We know that we can never do enough good. We understand that, that our eternal, that the, the, the kingdom is advancing, that, that our, our eternal, you know, good place or, or, or bad place is because of the grace of God. I think most people that are, that are professing Christians would agree that. What I would like to say to you, though, is does, does it affect you from the negative side or the bad place? Let me, let me explain what I, what I mean by that. Let's say that Brian was looking to hire uh, a new member of the staff, new member for the church. He has three candidates come in, okay? The first guy spent most of his life, he, he knows the Bible really well, but he spent most of his life actually trying to kill Christians, he comes in and he assures you that, he, no, he, I'm, that, that was, that was you know, previously, I'm done with that. I'm not doing it anymore, but I'm ready to serve in your church. Okay, that's person number one. Person number two says, you know, uh, Brian, I, I, I'm a good leader. I've led g- large groups of people, but I, I have committed murder. I did kill someone when I got really angry once. Okay? Number three, the third person says, again, I've led large groups of people. I'm a pretty fit guy. I have lots of energy. But just so you know, I, I, uh, I committed adultery and I arranged for someone to be killed. Do you think Brian is going to hire any of those people? Do you think Brian is going to hire any of those people? It's completely ridiculous, right? So if you weren't picking up on it, I refer to Moses, David, and Paul. These are all people that God chose to write the whole redemptive story of history. Murderers, adulterers, that, that should blow your mind. If God was keeping score, wouldn't they be a little too far in the negative to make up for that? Right? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Oh, there it is. Does that make sense? Are, are you tracking that? 
really important point that we have to understand before we move on. Okay? There's no scoreboard. Good? All right. So maybe, maybe the, I gave some pretty extreme examples. Maybe you haven't committed adultery or committed murder. What about this? Do you turn to food or alcohol when you're stressed? Do you lose your temper at your kids a little too much? Do you worry too much about money? Do you bend the truth at work so your boss thinks more highly of you? So this is my list, just to be very transparent with you all. As I was preparing for the sermon, I'm like, what are the things that I struggle with? And what do I feel shame and guilt about? I feel a lot of shame and guilt for yelling at my kids. I do it way too much. I lose my temper at my kids. So again, what we have in this psalm is a roadmap for how to deal with that. I have good news. Because God is not keeping score, nothing you've done previously disqualifies you from the story he has for your life. Nothing you've done previously disqualifies you from ministry. Nothing you've done previously, the the guilt and shame you feel, means that you can't do something uh, in advance of his kingdom. Right? Is that amazing? All right. So now that we have number one, God isn't isn't a a scorekeeper, let's turn to uh, the roadmap. So now what do we do with the guilt and shame that we have? Number one, turn to God. Turn to God. I'm going to read what John Piper says um, about this passage. First, he, David, turns to his only hope, the mercy and love of God. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Three times, have mercy according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. This is what God had promised in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. The Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and faithful, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So what John Piper is saying here is, is think about how willing God is to return to you, right? So think of the parables, Luke 15, there's a number of parables. The story of the shepherd, with the, there's a hundred sheep, there's a shepherd, 99 Stay, they do what they're supposed to do, and one leaves. What does the shepherd do? Pursues the one. Think of the story of the lost or prodigal son. Rembrandt, right? For my art people out there. Thank you, thank you. I had to Google it. Uh, So the story of the prodigal son. So the son leaves. He basically disowns his family. What does the father do when the the son changes his mind and returns back to the family? What does the father do? He sprints after him. He sprints down the road to meet him. So here's what's interesting, though. I don't know if you're anything like me. Remember, the point of this is turn to God. In response to sin or guilt, I think our natural inclination is to run away or hide. In response to sin or guilt, our natural inclination is to run away or hide. What did Adam and Eve do after they sinned? They hid from God, right? What is, remember the story of Jonah, Jonah and the whale? What does he do? He's given a command. He doesn't want to follow, so he tries to hide from God. So some of my, my <clears throat> most proud moments as a parent, uh, so my son Lucas is five and a half. His little sister Karis is about two and a half. Some of my most proud moments is when, this is going to sound funny, but stay with me, when my son Lucas uh, he hits Karis, but when we come into the room, he says, 
yes, mom, yes, dad, I hit her. I was really upset. Lucas, can you apologize to your sister? Sorry, Karis. Like, that's actually a really awesome moment. Conversely, do you know what one of the most frustrating things as a parent is? When he hauls off and whacks his sister and then runs away. Right? I'm not, I'm frustrated by the act of him hitting his sister. I'm not mad at him. I'm frustrated. I'm not mad until he, he, he refuses to come to me and have a conversation about it. Does that make sense? And I say, I think our inclination is the same. When we sin, our act is our, our, we typically default to fleeing away from God or hiding. That's the opposite of what this psalm is saying. Run to God. Change, change your direction. Literally change the direction. You're feeling guilt or you're feeling sin. Or sorry, you're feeling guilt or shame. Run to God. How are we doing? Okay. A couple more points. God isn't a scorekeeper. Run to God. What do you do after you've run to God? Well, you, you ask for cleansing. In the same way that David, in the whole first part of this Psalm 51, what, he, what does he ask for? He says, God, wash me clean. Uh, let me explain this by way of analogy. If I say something really uh, rude or cutting to my wife, only my wife can forgive me. Okay? Right? Does that make sense? I can't forgive myself, or I can't ask, you know, Brian, can you forgive me for how I talk to my wife? It's not how it works. Forgiveness has to be something that's given to you. So in the same way, you run to God and you ask for forgiveness. You ask him to cleanse you of the thing. What's amazing is he always says yes, right? That's his promise, promise to you. Again, a John Piper quote. David prays for cleansing from his sin. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, purge me from the hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David is crying out to God as his ultimate priest that he would forgive him and count him clean from sin. This is not something we can do on our own account. We can't cleanse ourselves. Okay, another, another story to try to drive it home. I have this friend. He grew up in the South. Uh, he was a cultural Christian. Do you all know what I mean by that? So he went to church with his family because that's what you do on Sunday mornings, but didn't necessarily profess any sort of faith. Brilliant guy. Very, very smart guy. He ends up going to Northwestern in Chicago for his undergrad. Gets into currency trading. I don't know how you trade currency nor how you make money on it, but he was able to do both of those things. He was a really wealthy guy. Really smart guy. I was having a conversation with him about faith and just said, hey, wh- hey, what do you believe? What do you think? And he said, I don't believe in God because I think God is a crutch. And people will, will turn to prayer instead of doing something about something, right? You should be able to be self-sustaining. You should be able to fix your own situation. Man, that was like the saddest thing to hear for me. That sort of paradigm, there's, there's, there's two outcomes of that sort of paradigm. One, he believes this, so this is his paradigm, because he thinks there's no such thing as God, heaven, or hell. And if that's the case, why does it matter if someone's good or not, right? How is good defined? Quickly, you get to this kind of uh, relativistic morality, meaning there's no singular thing that's good or bad, if there's no existence of God. Or secondly, 
he's dealing in this paradigm similar to the good place where it's good things versus bad things. And I'll just do more good than bad because I can. I don't know about you, but that sounds exhausting to me. I know that I can't do that. Do you feel like you could do that if you're honest with yourself? Is that coffee or water? Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. I'm running out of time, and I promised you that I'd try to keep it brief. So a couple more things, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll transition. The three things. God doesn't keep score. In response to your own guilt and shame, run to him. And then lastly, ask for cleansing. All right, going back to before verse 1, I mentioned there's that preface thing. What is the first uh, crowd participation? What is the, f- the very first line? What does it say? Someone read it out loud. Before verse, uh, sorry, that was unclear. Bad instructions. I apologize. Before verse 1, what is the first line? For the director of music. Okay, we're going to start transitioning to worship. But, but here's the thing about that line. This is what Charles Spurgeon says about that line. This psalm was not written for, for private meditation only, but for the public service of song. Suitable for the loneliness of individual penitence, this matchless psalm is equally well adapted for an assembly of the poor in spirit. Can anyone translate what that means? Yeah, it's good. So, so, so David wrote this psalm upon his own reflection. And this was, this was part of, of his dealing with his shame and guilt. But he wrote it to be sung in an assembly. This is a public psalm as well. Isn't that wild? This is a guy who just created, uh, committed adultery and murder. So his response to that is to create this, this song, essentially, for himself, but also to be sung with, with other people. It's for the director of music, well, who directs music? Usually someone who's directing music for, for lots of people. So we're going to do the same thing. I think we are a separate spirit. Do you all agree? I feel like I have some shame and guilt. So we're going to, we're going to respond in a song. The, we're going to sing two songs. The first song we're going to sing is a song by Hillsong, song by Hillsong, called Clean. I'm going to finish reading these lyrics, and then when I do so, um, the band can, and the prayer team can start making their way up. Precious blood has left me forgiven, pure like the whitest of snow. Powerful to make sin and shame retreat, this covenant is making me whole. So I will rise and lift my head, for by his mercy my life was spared. The highest name has set me free. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. Purify my heart in your presence, teach me to discover the joy, the joy of holiness that forms as you draw me close. In you what was lost is restored, so I will rise and lift my head. For by his mercy, my life was spared. The highest name has set me free. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. So I will rise and lift my head. For by his mercy, my life was spared. The highest name has set me free. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. Because of Jesus, my heart is clean. So the band wants to to come on up. So here's how we're going to respond. If you want to confess your sin, uh, there'll be people on the side with lanyards. You can pray with them. If you want to confess or or talk about your guilt and shame, that's fine. They can do that with you too. But don't just do that. I invite you to celebrate, 
the fact that God doesn't keep score, he has great plans for your life. That's a pretty awesome thing to celebrate, yeah? Yeah, great. All right, Brian, you want to come on up?